0: The Word of Faith movement is a mainly Pentecostal movement that came up in the late 20th century. Word of Faith teaching states that because we as human beings are made in the image of God, and whatever God declared through his Word came to be, words can be used to manipulate the force of faith. And thus, we can actually create what many claim Scripture promises. Speaking of what Scripture promises, many Word of Faith teachers declare that God's will is for us as humans to always be financially prosperous and never sick, Health and wealth are promised to us as believers. We just have to believe it and declare it. We have that authority. But where did these ideas that faith is a force that operates independently of God's sovereign will and that God himself is subject to these laws originate? Are there any records of ideas like this being taught and practiced in the early church? Do the scriptures actually teach this? When the origin story of the Word of Faith movement is examined, some very interesting things get uncovered, such as the influence of the New Thought movement and teachers like Phineas Quimby, E.W. Kenyon, and Mary Baker Eddy, or the father of the Word of Faith movement, Kenneth Hagen's blatant plagiarism of New Thought mind science practitioners. One of the ugly secrets most Word of Faith teachers don't want you to know is that their movement is influenced far more by the ideas of New Thought mind science cults than it ever was influenced by biblical Orthodox Christianity. You ready to take a deep dive into the history of the Word of Faith movement? Once you find out, it may shock you. everybody, to the Fears and the Live podcast. Gabe okay, was counting us off before we even got started. Oh, was that counting kind of... Was, we were recording? We were rolling. Yeah, that's tape. <laughs> I can't get tape oh, back, man. you know? <laughs> my name's Josh, joined as always by my host, Gabe. And Gabe looks as if he just put his body through the most miserable experience that the human body is not ever designed to go through this past weekend. It's a very factual statement.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would Mm. agree with that.
0: Mm. How you doing? Did you you recover? You ran. So those of you who are not regular listeners, Gabe ran his first full marathon on Sunday. Yeah, and cue applause. Hold for applause. Okay. Yeah, it was. I put it in post.
1: I was trashed after it. Yeah, it was. was, uh,
0: You were trashed. You got trashed. trashed. No, you're a But there was there was a trashed. lot of free
1: beer along the side the side of the race there that people were handing out. Which <laughs> surprised me. There probably were many people trashed by the end of the nah, marathon. I'm sure
0: there were. Yeah.
1: But uh no, it was a really neat experience. And by neat, I mean terrible. No, but it was, so, it was
0: yeah, Talk to me about this. You mm-hmm. we talked a while ago after you finished your first half marathon. Mm-hmm. And I think I made the statement that Running a full marathon is not twice as hard as running a half marathon. It's 10 times harder. Do you agree with that statement now?
1: No, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's 10 times. I think it's, I think it's twice hmm, as okay. hard. I mean, it's... So because I because I trained up to 20 miles, I had already gone through a lot of the emotions you go through at 18, 19 miles and those walls that you hit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I already experienced that, and I over mm-hmm. overcame that. So for me when race day came it was all this new scenery and all these people cheering you on and all this adrenaline so it wasn't 10 times as hard it was like uh it was just different it was really hot by the time we ended the race i think it was 85 degrees and the humidity oh was, my goodness was almost equal to that um yeah i met a lady i was getting some scrambled eggs at the end of this little breakfast station I met a lady and, and uh she's like are you refueling and i was like yeah and she goes, uh, yeah, it was, it was a warm one. I was like, yeah, sure it sure was. She goes, this is my 151st marathon. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was in her it. like 60s, maybe late 60s. She goes, this is my 151st marathon. And she's like, by far, it was the most grueling temperature wise. I was yeah, like, thank I you. That makes me feel a lot better.
0: <laughs> that's my first one. I picked a doozy of one to do. Yeah, yeah. Man,
1: but it was a really cool experience. Uh, one I recommend everyone try at least once in their life.
0: Um, well, yeah. speaking of which you asked, I told you a good job on your Facebook post and then you said, Hey, when are you going to run one? And so then I sent you a link to one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then you told me that you think your, your wife has requested that you sit it out for a bit. Is that true? Yeah. I
1: want to, I want to run another one. Yeah. And the night after I ran the first one, I was already mm-hmm. Googling, uh, Googling mm-hmm. upcoming marathons yeah um it is a it is a weird like psychotic like connection to it. It's just a weird i don't know
0: mm-hmm. um well and so yeah it's it gets addicting because of the whole experience like there's like this catharsis attached to the mm-hmm. pain mm-hmm. of it to know that it pays off at the end mm-hmm. and the whole ritual of training and seeing your body change and getting excited for one and then doing it. And then, well, I'm I'm, I'm not speaking about marathons. I've never done a marathon, but just races in general. Yeah, yeah
1: people really, a lot of people liken you know, it to childbirth. Uh, they you, um, hmm.
0: you know, like. You, do you make that comparison around your wife? You're like, oh, honey, I know exactly what you went through. I just.
1: I can I can basically relate to 100% of women who have given birth now. I know exactly what that was
0: like. Basically. Any woman listening to this right now is probably Googling your address to go burn your house down yeah. from that statement. Yeah. yeah, That's funny. I mean, yeah.
1: I I'm not going to make any Dylan Mulvaney uh, references right now, but I can basically relate to all women who have given birth to a child. But uh, no, I – so basically – so I, I want to run one, but, but basically Stacy. Yeah. Is worried that this is causing unnecessary harm to my body by doing this. Mm, And
0: yeah, and it's a lot of time. So I have like, see, uh, yeah. After I did the triathlon in August, I was really excited and I almost turned around and signed up for a um, half marathon right after that. Because I'm like, man, I've already got my conditioning here. It's easy mm -hmm. to just turn around and sign up. And Jenny basically said, hey, like, I really would love to have our Saturdays back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because when you're like in peak training, Mm -hmm. for me, like early Saturday mornings was, you know, two, three hours of being out there training. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like... And then you're zapped the rest of the day. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's not like you can just go... I mean, I would try and go knock it out. But then the rest of the day, it's like I'm trying to help around the house with chores and trying to go do something fun. But I don't really feel like doing it because I just, you know, Mm -hmm. worked out for two hours. So... Yeah, it's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's a sacrifice, but uh, I don't know. I, it's so funny to me that the people mm-hmm. over the age of like fifty that have run one hundred and thirty marathons, like you were talking about that lady, and a lot of them didn't get into it till they were in mm-hmm. their sixties and seventies, which is really crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, it Cause, is. Because I guess you get nothing but time.
1: I reckon. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was um, <laughs> I really opened up the second half, and I was just kind of picking on my pace. I was running about a ten minute mile pace and uh I caught up with a guy who seemed to be like in his seventies and he was um he was running. I mean the, the the calves on this guy were like that of like a <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime and he was just like running you know and I caught up with him he had like this he had gray hair and a long hair and a ponytail. And I started to kind of did. just Yeah I was like running next to him and I was like hey I was like is this your first marathon and he was like laughing. He was, like no this is like my 49th and I was like dear lord and I said, uh, you know, we were talking back and forth, I kind of bantering back and forth. And and uh we had about two miles off to that point. So I kind of picked up my pace and I I I kept going on ahead of him. And um I'm about I'm 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 literally about five hundred feet from from the finish line. And I hear behind me this this uh, 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 like this this noise like creeping up on me. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, I'm just trying to stay running, basically, at this point. My body yeah. is just, like, shutting down. And this 73-year-old man just flies by me and crosses the finish line about 15 seconds before I do. And uh, I caught him after the after the race, and uh, I was like, dang, man. I was like, you really pushed it out at the end there. And uh, he's like, yeah, that's what I do. He's like, I just – I run at an even pace, and in the last mile, I just – I give it everything I got until I feel like I'm going to die. And I'm like, that's that's healthy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're like, well, I mean, it's a lot closer than uh, you may think, there, friend. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. Now I know that a 73
1: year old man just beat me. You know, someone twice my age just beat me by 15 seconds.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And you'll have to chew on that from now until the next time you're in a race. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. So check since, out yeah. the size of this. Good lord, son. The thing is
1: massive. It, this metal. If you're
0: not watching on YouTube, uh Gabe just pulled up his Space Coast Marathon medal, and it is it is yeah. like flava flave size. It is. Um Wow. Yeah, yeah that's like a that's pretty gaudy. That's like And then your half marathon one is the size of a quarter.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I that's probably five foot in <laughs> diameter, I would say. No exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations, my friend. I know that was a bucket list item for you.
1: Yeah, But we're, uh, we're we're eyeing up the one in October next year. You I, 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 I think, think
0: so. I mean, hey, if you're down, I uh, I'm definitely I would, down. It's just a
1: matter of uh, the Lord working on Stacy's heart.
0: Yeah. So we're going to ask everybody right now to pray for our wives that uh, God would soften their hearts.
1: Yeah. And but I yeah, when it comes that. when it comes to a marathon, it's just a matter of like claiming convincing your the- wife. Well, it's just a matter to it's a matter when you're when you're in it, it's just a matter of claiming the victory and mm. that has mm. already been released to you. You just mm. need to know that it's there and claim yes. it.
0: Absolutely. You and just need to manifest, you know. You have speak to it. speak yep.
1: it. Yeah. I You can't I, admit
0: to yourself that you're tired. You mm-hmm. can't admit to yourself. No. No.
1: Cuz that's defeat. I mean Absolutely. you, you Absolutely. have to you have to claim you are you, you've already crossed the finish line.
0: You've already done it.
1: No, you've, you've already done it. it. So there's really no sense of yeah. even starting it. You just need uh-huh. to you just need to take one step and then mm-hmm. you're done. You just need to say that you're done. Yes. Amen. And Amen. Manifest. Manifest crossing the finish
0: line. And that's you prophesying you're prophesying the end result. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so today we're talking still about the word of faith movement. <clears throat> And if you haven't listened to episode one, stop listening. Go back and listen to episode one. No, just kidding. I guess you could listen to this first if you want to. Uh, We talked about the Word of Faith movement. And if you don't know what the Word of Faith movement is, this is a mainly Pentecostal movement that basically states that you control your destiny through this thing called faith and that faith is a force that operates independently of God's sovereign will god himself is subject to these laws and uh you basically through your words through your belief through the source of faith you can create whatever you believe scripture promises and by the way you as a good faith filled person believe that scripture promises as a believer you will always prosper you will never be sick that health is promised to you as a believer. Wealth is promised to you as a believer. You just have to believe it and declare it. You have that authority. And uh, we talked in last episode just the prevalence of this and how this is a pretty popular movement in a lot of Pentecostal circles. And even how there's a lot of people who are influenced by it and they don't even know that they're influenced by it. And it shows up in how they pray and things like that. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about where... Did the Word of Faith movement come from? Because it it, it would seem though as though um, this would have its history in like the early church or the Bible or, some, or or things like that. But really, when you start kind of tracing it back to its origin, you don't find that. You find something quite different. So, Gabe, can you can you think of how this? Um, I mean, can you think of any sources at all that would suggest that this was around in the early church, or even, you know, I don't know, during the time of the Puritans, or uh, hmm. during the Middle Ages, or during the Reformation? I mean, can you can you find this any time throughout church history besides modern times? Just just curious.
1: No, I've, in fact, I, I find an overwhelming amount of evidence to to the contrary that when you accept. A faith that is in a, in a lifestyle that is in obedience in accordance with the example of christ that your life gets um yeah immeasurably harder and persecution befalls everyone <laughs> around you and your family uh-huh. because because you're accepting this lifestyle and and this new faith um and it's completely contrary to this word of faith movement um but yeah, hmm. I think it's it's uh, it, like you said, it's it's kind of like our our flesh that is kind of that is hijacked uh, our flesh and, and maybe maybe greed that has hijacked uh, certain aspects and certain verses of our faith to to use them to exploit other people. Uh, it's just nothing new. But
0: hmm. interestingly, you know, just kind of thinking about it, <clears throat> the only other time you see people living in opulence and extravagance and then using their faith. To almost justify that is right before the Reformation, Hmm. Um, you saw a lot of leaders and clerics within the Catholic Church doing that and uh, using things like indulgences, selling that to people, um, basically saying that, you know, if you give, you can basically spring your loved one from purgatory. Um, And then they were taking that money and they were building massive structures and living and. Great, great, great wealth. Mm. So that's the only time you really see kind of that, um, you know, I, I guess that, that same type of manipulation, but it's not really, the theology wasn't there, I guess. So um, when you look at church history and you kind of give it the sniff test in terms of the Word of Faith movement, and you go, well, wait a second, this is, this kind of seems something that we've not seen before in terms of historic Orthodox Christianity. Then you have to go, okay, so then it probably came from someplace else besides orthodox historic Christianity. Mm. <laughs> and then you start actually getting somewhere and finding out where it is it came from. And in order to understand it, there's really three main characters to understand about the Word of Faith movement. <clears throat> in patient zero, if you will, first character that you've got to understand is a guy by the name of Phineas... Parkhurst Quimby, Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. He lived from 1802 to 1866. He was a a mentalist. He was actually a clockmaker too. I guess that was his trade. And he was something called a mesmerist, which Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what a mesmerist was, but a mesmerist is someone who believes in an invisible natural force possessed by all living things. And this force could have physical effects, including healing. And Phineas Quimby is is very uh, influential in American society as a whole, uh, as he is considered one of the founders of the New Thought spiritual movement. So today we would go. Well, I don't. I don't really know any New Thought teachers, but you actually do because the New Thought movement was around the the nineteenth uh, century, so the eighteen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds. And its influence is what's responsible for something called the New Age movement today. Hmm. And so anytime you turn on Oprah and you see any of those teachers that she has on, uh, those most of them would be considered New Age teachers. And New Age uh, teachers were heavily influenced by the New Thought movement, which was in the 1800s. And they called it the New Thought because it was thought to have succeeded ancient thought, and it was really just like a conglomeration of wisdom and philosophy from Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Chinese, Buddhist, Hindu, Taoist sources, and um, this whole movement wasn't really like a denomination, it wasn't anything formal, it was basically this loosely allied group of religious denominations, writers, philosophers, People like Phineas Quimby, who kind of shared this set of beliefs concerning metaphysics, positive thinking, the law of attraction. We talked about that last episode, like the the book, The Secret. It would be the law of attraction. Uh, Healing, life force, creative visualization. So you basically visualizing where you want to go and who you want to be in your mind and you're getting there and then personal power and having power. And so people that were... Uh, In the New Thought movement, kind of we're dabbling with all this stuff. People now within this movement, which would consider themselves uh, to be New Age, kind of believe four main things. The first is God, or an infinite intelligence is supreme, universal, and everlasting. Number two, divinity dwells within each person. All people are spiritual beings. So basically, we all kind of have a little bit of God dwelling in us. So that would be considered panentheism. So God Mm -hmm. in us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number three would be the highest spiritual principle is loving one another unconditionally, um, which which means teaching and healing one another. Mm. So there's a big emphasis on healing, big emphasis on um, really helping people kind of achieve all that they can be in terms of their potential to realize that God is in them. You remember we talked about Richard Rohr in the uh, mm. Enneagram episode? Yeah, yeah. He's really big about the cosmic Christ, mm. like that Jesus kind of just realized that he had Christ, that he was Christ, and you and I can realize we have Christ in us,
1: right? Yeah. Hey, um, we're, one time I was talking to this, this uh, lady down, she was in Central Florida somewhere, and I was, we were having this deep conversation. She was kind of just a total stranger. We were, I was basically trying to deconstruct her worldview and share the gospel with her, and uh, One of the things I asked her was, like, hey, if she, I said, said, well, what is is the moral compass of of humanity? Like, what what is right and wrong? And who, you know, and she goes, well, it's just to love everyone, kind of that new thought kind of mantra. Mm -hmm, And I was mm -hmm. like, I was like, okay, okay. So I said, so if I, if I give everyone, if I go down to the local Walmart and I give everyone a three by five index card and I have everyone write their definition of love on that three by five index card and I collect them all, are they all going to be the same definition of love? And she goes, ew, why would you do that at a Walmart? why don't you go to like a Whole Foods and do that? Oh, gosh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm sure she really knew how to love people. Yeah. (laughs) I was
1: like, are you implying that people that shop at Walmart have a lesser understanding of love? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, do you already see the fallacy in your your argument then? And she's like, sort of. It was just so funny. It was so snobby. I was like,
0: yeah, Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's, what's so funny about that, that starts to fall apart when you start asking what love is, right? But that's, mm-hmm. love is almost, yeah, it, again, the highest spiritual principle. So love becomes sort of its own own thing, but then anybody can define it however they want to define it. But the fourth tenet of kind of the New Thought movement, and we see this in the New Age movement, is mental states are carried forward into manifestation and become our experience in daily living. In other words, your mental state, the words you speak your mindset that basically creates your reality. Hmm. So how is this connected with the word of faith movement? Well, new thought teaching started getting connected with something called the mind cure movement. And this is where Phineas Quimby was especially influential and he was very interested in this. So Phineas Quimby was born in a very small town in New Hampshire he was one of seven children, his dad was a blacksmith, and he didn't receive a lot of education. He you know, that was kind of customary for his social and economic class at the time. And uh, later on in life, he wrote that as a child, he suffered from something called consumption, mm. um, which now we call that tuberculosis. Uh, and so in his youth, there was no cure. At that time, in that part of the country, and so the doctor prescribed him um i think i'm saying this right calomel calomel c a l o m e l had to look that up calomel was a a mercury alloy that was thought mm. to be able to cure t b and um yeah it was it was kind of there was like this um uh, pseudoscience called alchemy mm-hmm. where basically they would try to put together different chemical and mineral compounds. And Hmm. so, um, calomel was (laughs) mercury. So you probably shouldn't take mercury, but, um, that's what they gave him. So it did not cure his TB. It actually started to rot his teeth. Wow. And so as a young man, Quimby began to experiment with his own ideas for a cure. And so, um, he found that intense excitement, such as him going galloping on his horse would alleviate his pain because he would basically distract his mind. Hmm. And and so he started to become very interested in the mind's ability to affect the body. And he claims that he cured himself of his consumption, his tuberculosis, by these methods. And so then he became kind of this practitioner and lecturer of the mind science aspect of this. Like you can basically cure yourself of diseases through um, basically mastering your mind, I guess, some mind over matter. Um, And then he started exploring hypnosis and discovered that he could also heal people by the power of suggestion. And he started holding to the belief that all illness is basically a matter of the mind. And where it comes from is the patient's mistaken beliefs. And so the cure for every disease, the cure for every sickness lies in us just discovering truth. Um, And so he never claimed to be religious in the orthodox sense, never claimed to be a Christian. But he believes that he rediscovered the healing methods of Jesus. That essentially Jesus was a mind scientist, that Jesus healed people by basically telling them, you're you're healed, and so because he told them that they were healed, they believed they were healed, and therefore they were healed. Does that makes mm. sense.
1: Yeah, man, he just needed some essential oils. <laughs> <Could've
0: just laughs> we're gonna get this. hate mail. Thanks could've, a lot, Gabe.
1: It just made this a reality, you know. <laughs> well, just smother some. Every homeschool on it. mom, every homeschool
0: go. mom listening to this episode is gonna. Yeah. You're over <laughs> two with them, man. You talk about childbirth in the first part. Now you're talking about essential oils. You can get yeah. your house burned down and your tires slashed. I know. Uh, so there was a, a, a woman by the name of Mary Baker Eddy. And Mary Baker Eddy had lived a uh, a very difficult life. She, she suffered from a lot of different ailments. And so she found out about Phineas Quimby and his um, mind science, his hypnosis, his kind of mind over matter – and she sought him out for treatment and became one of his disciples, basically, sitting under him, learning him, learning all his stuff, you know, learning how he did things, stuff like that. And uh, if the name Mary Baker Eddy sounds familiar to you, she went on to start a group called Christian Science. And Christian Science kind of became its own thing and was launched as a very popular religious movement in the late 1800s in New England. And you actually still see Christian science. They're not called churches now. They're called reading rooms. Have yeah. you seen a Christian science reading room?
1: Yeah, there was one back in Lakeland when I lived there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right across from the library.
0: Yep. Um, there's one in Murfreesboro, the town over from me. And uh, yeah, so Christian science is is anything but that. It's not Christian and it's not scientific. Um. What Christian scientists believe, which they're not scientists and they're not not Christians, uh, they basically teach that disease is a mental error rather than a physical disorder. And that if you're sick, you shouldn't be treated by medicine. You should be treated by a form of prayer that seeks to correct your beliefs responsible for the illusion of ill health. Hmm. So... The reading rooms are are essentially just libraries. There's there's somebody there to facilitate if you have questions. There's not really clergy. And you go to a reading room, and there's Mary Baker Eddy's book. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's a very popular book. It's kind of the seminal text of the Christian Science Church. And uh, there's the Bible. And so you read passages about Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus, and you read passages about... Uh, Jesus touching the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, and then you turn over and you read Mary Baker Eddy, and basically your prayer is not really a prayer. It's you visualizing and claiming over yourself that you are not sick and that you are healed. And it's not that if you do that enough, you can basically heal yourself. <laughs> so it's a science. It's not really a, a faith in God. I mean, yeah, you use God to get it, but it's more of a it's a mind science. Does that makes
1: sense. Yeah, it looks like she's she's written several books, and one was called Science and Health. And there's like, uh,
0: yeah, that's the Christian, big one, Science and Christian
1: Health. Science Hymnal. Uh, mm. There's there's uh, I am not sick. I am mm. not sick. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Manual of the Mother Church, uh, mm. retro, Retrospection and Introspection. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of the basis of a lot of cults. You'll see mm-hmm. is that there's the, the Bible, but then there's this other uh, book or writing or, or you know, sacred text written by another person. And it's right. usually this solo um, author who's kind of gone rogue and they write and they, they have the keys that unlock the scriptures. And uh, mm-hmm. you're supposed to read them kind of in tandem with one another. I mean, the, the Mormons have that, right? And so yeah. – yeah, yeah, yeah. That is and it's like you you have to read scripture now through this lens. And I get yes. to control how you understand that. And that's the basis yeah. of a lot of a lot of cults that we see today.
0: Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting is it's not even um I mean, I don't know how you can read the totality of the scriptures and come away with a conclusion that every faithful worshiper, the one true God, got this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you read the story of Job? I mean, do did you, did you read the story of Job through the lens of Mary Baker Eddy, that Job, in the end, the reason that God restored him sevenfold is because he visualized that he wasn't sick? I mean, how do you do that, right? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, well, like Daniel, Daniel 3 is a really good example, of kind of a, a stick in the spokes, if you will, of this whole word of faith thing. It's like Daniel 3 is... is um, you remember Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden statue, mm-hmm. this yeah. idol, yep, yep, and he yep. commands everyone to bow down and when they hear the sound, right? And it says that um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. They refused to do it and they threatened him with the fiery furnace and all that. And then it gets to like Daniel 3.16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case – Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known Mm -hmm. to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. because they recognize that God is all-powerful. He's able to just save them. He's able to crush the entire Babylonian empire right then and there. Right. But they just say, they're like, they know that. But they go, Mm -hmm. but if he doesn't, just know that we're not going to worship you or your you know your golden image.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Leaving the possibility open that it may not be his will to do it. Right, right. And we're trusting he he does redeem
1: them and save them.
0: Sure. But you know, he he could have a plan of them perishing for their belief faith. Mm -hmm. There's a long history of martyrs losing their lives for you know. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So that's Phineas Quimby. That's, he's he's kind of, like I said, patient zero for this whole thing. He was very influential in the early 1800s. His biggest influence was on Mary Baker Eddy. But he also influenced a man by the name of Essex William Kenyon. And Essex William Kenyon lived from 1867 to 1948. So uh, Phineas Quimby died in 1866. E.W. Kenyon was not a contemporary. He was just someone who... Was very influenced by the work of Phineas Quimby. Some would even say he plagiarized some of Phineas Quimby's work, but he's usually cited as this this guy, Essex William Kenyon, or short E.W. Kenyon, the originator of the word of faith um, teaching, not the word of faith movement, just teaching the word of faith. And and here's here's why. He's really the first person to identify as an Orthodox Christian that would blend some of the writings and ideas of the New Thought movement with that of kind of conservative um, evangelical Christian belief. Mm. And so um, there's a lot of debate. A lot of people say, no, he didn't influence the Word of Faith movement. He's not the founder of the Word of Faith movement. But when you really start kind of doing a deep dive into the rabbit hole, um, E.W. Kenyon is plagiarized all the time by modern Word of Faith teachers. Hmm. And E.W. Kenyon was heavily influenced by the writings of Phineas Quimby and Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science. Um, He was a pastor of New Covenant Church in Spencer, Massachusetts. He was the president of his own Bible Institute in Spencer, Massachusetts. His life In ministry was enormously impacted by um, cults such as the Science of the Mind, the Unity School of Christianity, Christian Science, and New Thought Metaphysics. Again, that's the work of Phineas Quimby. So here's what what Kenyon had to contribute to this whole thing. Um, There is a long-standing history that goes back to the early church of Christians believing in divine supernatural healing. Like praying for the sick, right? I mean, you see this in the book of James. I'm teaching through James right now. If any of you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Um, You know, and the prayer of faith will will raise him up, right? I mean, that's all through the book of Acts. That's all through the New Testament, believing that God can heal, um, inviting Christians to pray and ask God to heal. But Kenyon basically took that belief in supernatural healing and went, beyond that and he claimed that he had found something he called reality and it was high higher than even the higher life movement <laughs> so it's kind of this interesting thing he would use these really interesting terms there was like this movement about um having a higher life a new type of consciousness and Kenyon claimed that he found that And here's what his teaching was. Believers can create health and financial prosperity for themselves by believing in, that's having faith, that's the phrase he used, and verbally affirming, that's confessing, the present reality or possession of the objects of desire. Hmm. Now, does that sound familiar?
1: Yeah, it kind of sounds like Satan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just <laughs> yes. You sound like church lady. Ooh, yeah. I don't be. Oh, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So it, if that sounds super familiar, it's because he got plagiarized. He got plagiarized, and he's still getting plagiarized. Um. Mm. By modern word of faith teachers, but it, what his teaching was and his philosophy was, it was a very unique blend of various mind cure and faith cure. Sources, and so what? What you see is kind of the earliest um, blending of mind science and metaphysical idealism with conservative Christianity, mm. and so he's the one responsible for kind of bringing the new thought movement into the church. He's kind. He's kind of that on ramp. Mm. We we talked about back in the. Um, Enneagram episode, how did the Enneagram come into the church? How did, how did Christians start getting interested in this, you know, esoteric new age teaching? And we found the on-ramp, the on-ramp was Richard Rohr, right? Which he claims to be a Christian minister and he's really anything but that. And E.W. Kenyon is kind of the on-ramp for the new thought movement to come into the church. So I said that Kenyon has gotten plagiarized many times and, um, Here's here's the the phrase that gets plagiarized all the time, and it's this: "What I confess, I possess." Hmm. And the one who is responsible for plagiarizing him more than anyone else is a guy by the name of Kenneth Hagen, and we'll talk about him next. Um, one of Kenyon's statements, and we're going to get into some of his <laughs> his teachings. Pretty crazy when you start. Researching it. Every man who has been born again is an incarnation, and Christianity is a miracle. The believer is as much as an incarnation as was Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. Yeah. So Kenneth Hagin said that, but he's not the first person to say that. He plagiarized E.W. Kenyon, who said that.
1: Way to go, Kenneth.
0: Yeah, way to go, Kenneth.
1: What's the frequency, Kenneth? Well, I mean, if you're going to be a heretic... You got to be original at least. You got to be an original heretic.
0: Yeah, yeah. At least, at least come up with have your own s- have false stuff.
1: Have some doctor. class, right?
0: Yep. So there's not a ton of scholarly work on Kenyon or his teachings. I mean, there's stuff out there that says he taught some kooky things, but finding exactly what he taught is is pretty difficult. But I managed to track down a thesis written in 1995 from um, Liberty University School of Divinity by a guy by the name of Kevin. Scott Smith and Kevin, I don't know who you are, but thank you for writing this because again, there's not much out there on EW Kenyon, but you researched and you found it and so kudos Kevin, wherever you are if you're listening, which I highly doubt that. But um this is a good a good piece of research by this person. Again, there's not much out there, so Kevin, I'd love to see you make this into a book. friend friend of friends if you're listening. But the name of um Kevin Scott Smith's thesis that is, is in the religious libraries of Liberty University School of Divinity. It's called Mind, Might, and Mastery: Human Potential and Metaphysical Religion in E.W. Kenyon. And if you're a nerd like me, and you want to just geek out and do a deep dive into what E.W. Kenyon actually taught, this is the place to find what he taught. I want to read just a couple of quotes, Gabe. If you would, if you would indulge me for a moment mm-hmm. in some of this very strange teaching. Here's what E.W. Kenyon said about the origin of humanity. And again, this is from this thesis. According to Kenyon, Adam's creation in God's image entails that humanity be essentially a spirit being like God. This places humans in God's class. Human beings are spirits who have a soul, intellect and reason. That's what he defined a soul as, and live in a body. As spirits, Adam and Eve were as close as possible to actually being God. They were in the beginning neither mortal in, nor immortal. Their nature was such that they could have partaken of God's nature. Even without partaking of divinity, Adam and Eve in their original state had complete power over their physical environment. Their dominion extended even over the laws of nature. <laughs> hmm. well, wait a second. What does that mean? Because they control the weather? Could they fly? Could they walk on water could they turn invisible
1: interesting so this guy is saying that's what kenneth hagen is teaching
0: well that's what ew kenyon taught Uh, right thus and again word of faith teachers have plagiarized ew kenyon and uh if you were paying attention to our last episode i mentioned that once upon a time benny hen claimed that adam could fly hmm now, where did Benny Hinn get something like that? Hmm. E.W. Kenyon, because this is mm-hmm. what E.W. Kenyon wrote. Adam and Eve had complete power over their physical environment because they were essentially as close as possible to actually being God. So their dominion extended over the walls of nature.
1: Yeah, and so, so the you know the, the next logical jump for these people was that basically we do too.
0: Yep. Here's mm-hmm. what he said: yep. the human spirit, the real man, is left. Uh, without a true source of knowledge and consequently loses its rightful mastery over the body and soul. So that's basically what happens because of the fall. Once this occurs, humanity can no longer master, master his circumstances, and Satan can, indirectly and through deceit, put disease on or in the body. Humanity's condition, then, is the result of the loss of righteousness, especially the consciousness of righteousness, and of knowledge of reality. But Kenyon believed that he could reveal the full extent of the redemption God had provided to fallen humanity. So this is what the this is what the the writing says. This is the thesis. Let us retrace the logical progression of his thought. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, God incarnate. Jesus died spiritually on behalf of humanity, but overcame spiritual death at sin nature via the new birth, partaking of the divine nature. Humans can identify with this process in the new birth. Thus, humans can partake of the divine nature as did Jesus in his rebirth. Remember, it was Jesus' rebirth that restored his divinity. Even Adam in his original state did not partake of God's nature as he was created as close as possible to being God. So essentially, if, if this is kind of squirrely and you're like, what? What Kenyon basically taught is that once you're born again, dominion is restored, just like Adam and Eve had dominion over the physical environment mm-hmm. because they were created in the image and likeness of God as close to God as humanly possible. Are you tracking with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I could I could see the logical like train of how they're getting there. Yeah. But it's like so so basically you're when you become born again, you're basically like you're restored to a full Edenic state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can fly like Adam to the moon.
0: <laughs> if you if you have enough faith. I mean, true, yeah. true. You're
1: 100%. Yes, our listeners know Benny Hinn did say that Adam walked on the moon.
0: He said he so, walked on the moon?
1: Yeah, he said he flew to the moon. I was looking at the transcripts of what he actually
0: said. It's bizarre. Okay, well. Yeah. What a fertile imagination that guy Benny Hinn it's has. Very um, So, yeah, basically, if you have a recreated spirit because you've been born again, You regain mastery over your own soul, that's your intellect. You regain mastery over your body, and you regain mastery over your circumstances, just like Adam and Eve had, right? Mm. And so now, because you are a partaker of the divine nature, you have the ability of God at your disposal. You you could walk on water if you were able to actualize that and have enough faith. Mm. You could fly if you were able to actualize that and have enough faith. Because your dominion has been restored. It's a matter of you recognizing that you have the dominion, right? Hmm. So, so you can master the body so that disease must leave on command. Because now your spirit is no longer a partaker of spiritual death and physical death, um, Man it manifest itself in the body as disease or sickness. Now, because you're a partaker of the divine nature, you don't have spiritual death in you. Hmm. And so if if Satan attaches any sickness or disease or ailment to your body, then your human spirit that has been restored to its rightful place can take its rightful dominion and command that sickness to leave the body.
1: So maybe... R. Kelly was onto something when he masterfully crafted the lyrics. I used to think that I could not go on and life was nothing but an awful song. But now I know the meaning of true love. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. If I can see it, I can if do it. If I can it. see it, I can if do I can it. it. If I can just believe it, there's nothing to if it. I, I believe, believe I can it. fly. I yes. believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night And, <laughs>
0: and because he believes he can fly, you know what, Gabe? Mm-hmm. He can. Mm. Yeah, so essentially, the problem is we don't have a realization or an actualization of the facts of our redemption, and we do not recognize our spiritual identity in reality. Mm. So the problem is we are sin conscious and we are sense ruled. And really what this is, if you really if you really think of it and you really start to like peel back all the religious and Christian language on it, this is quite Hindu.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. We're getting yeah. out towards Eastern mysticism. A hundred yeah. percent.
0: And so mm. Hinduism teaches that the physical world is secondary and the spiritual world is primary. Mm. And this is exactly what Kenyon is doing. He's teaching that the physical world is secondary, the spiritual world is primary. Disease is a spiritual problem manifested in the physical body but mm-hmm. if you want to master the physical world you have to know spiritually that you're healthy contrary to what he called the sense knowledge claims so you start feeling sick you start you know getting sick you start seeing a disease impact your body you just have to go no 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 that's what my senses say but I know the true reality I have mastered I have dominion over that disease that's not that's not true
1: that's interesting i mean cuz there are like there are spiritual depraved individuals, spiritually depraved individuals who enter a lifestyle that might produce disease, Emo, you know, you mm-hmm. might get diseases that are, you know, like HIV or hepatitis or something. And you, and you, right. so you, you, um, you're living a sinful life. That's a spiritual, you know, depravity situation and it produces a physical manifestation. But it's interesting because, um, you know, that's, that's with you the rest of your life. Now, like mm-hmm. Daniel 3, God has the ability to restore you from that, redeem you from that. But mm-hmm. if not, we will still worship him and him alone. So it's yeah. interesting because it, yeah, there's a, there a grain of truth in that. But when, mm-hmm. when it goes too far is that, yeah, you just need to have enough faith. And then you can kind of express your dominion over that disease. Uh, but it's like, yeah. you know, you're, you're kind of in some in some scenarios... Um, that's the wages of sin, and yeah. we long for the redemption of mankind and the redemption of creation, but it's, well, it's interesting.
0: It, it, it's an overrealized understanding of the atonement, and we'll get into mm. that here in a minute. So, historic Orthodox Christianity has held to the belief that it's the now but not yet, right? Mm. Like, in the atonement, yes, we are now forgiven. Yes, we are now um restored, but at the same time, we still live in this broken space that's still marred and tattered by the curse of sin. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the physical world is still mattered and torn by the curse of sin. Like there was tornadoes last night in Mississippi. We had a tornado warning all through Middle Tennessee last night. Well, why is that? Because we still live in a broken physical world that's tattered and torn by the curse of sin. Now, someday there's coming a day when the kingdom of God is consummated and all of the brokenness of this physical world is done away with. There's no more cancer. There's no more disease. There's no more diabetes. There's no more tornadoes. And and that's like a promise we have, but we're not in that day yet. We're waiting for that day, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But to say that now, because we've been born again, that dominion has been restored and that we now have dominion over the... um. Laws of nature? So that would mean that we can control the weather, which guys like Kenneth Copeland have claimed that they can do. Hmm. But if you can control the weather, where were you last night? Why weren't you in Mississippi rebuking those storms? (laughs) Right? So, I mean, it doesn't even... I mean, to
1: his credit, like, the private jet would not hold up in those kinds of storms. That's true, yeah. He's trying to just, you know protect his yeah. he's trying to be a good steward really
0: is what he's it is. trying to be a good steward of his yeah so yeah, i gotta give him credit. I mean, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay speaking of kenneth copeland let's talk about this uh the granddaddy of them all the recognized father of the word of faith movement that is a man by the name of kenneth hagen kenneth hagen h-a-g-i-n kenneth hagen so kenneth hagen lived from 1917 to 2003 And he is recognized unanimously as the father of the Word of Faith movement. Kenneth Hagin was heavily influenced by E.W. Kenyon. So much so that uh, scholars have basically proven that all of Hagin's major ideas were plagiarized from the works of Kenyon, including certain phrases like, What I confess, I possess. So Kenneth Hagin was essentially a masterful plagiarist. I think that's a word. Mm -hmm. And um, so Kenneth Hagin, as a young man, claimed to have a a profound experience of supernatural healing. And in 1936, so he would have been, I believe, 19, he founded his first non-denominational church. In 19? (laughs) Wow. <laughs> I planted a, uh, a campus at 30, and I felt woefully unprepared at 30, so I don't know how hmm. I would have done it at 19. But anyway, uh, he preached his first sermon as the pastor of a small community Baptist church in Roland, Texas. In 1937, he became an Assemblies of God minister. So here's where you see kind of this infiltration of the Pentecostal space. During the next 12 years, he pastored five Assemblies of God churches in Texas, And in 1949, he became kind of an itinerant minister, and uh, he claimed in 1949 he had an appearance by Jesus, so Jesus personally appeared to him, and um, kicked off his itinerant ministry, and he joined the Voice of Healing revival in the U.S. with guys like Oral Roberts, Gordon Lindsay, and T.L. Osborne um, from about 1947 to 1950. In 1963, he formed his own organization called Kenneth Hagen Hagan Evangelistic Association in Garland, Texas. Uh, and so here's what starts basically happening in 1966. This is why this is significant. He starts to broadcast over radio in mm-hmm. around 1966, 1967. So here's why Hagan is so uh, noteworthy. He was enormously influential in the Pentecostal space in the 1960s 1970s and 1980s, and it was because of radio and then later television, and then he had a magazine that he would send out, and his magazine was called The Word of Faith. (laughs) Hmm. So really, Kenneth Hagin was probably the first to coin, well, probably not, it was probably E.W. Kenyon that Hagin plagiarized, but that the whole aspect of The Word of Faith. So here's just a smattering of some of the things that Kenneth Hagin taught. And this is from his magazine. So this is different issues, magazine things he said. Um, he taught that receiving healing, just as receiving salvation is simply a matter of appropriating what already belongs to us. So to be healed, you just have to receive it. It's, it's already promised. Hmm. He taught that healing is included in the gospel. He taught that God does not afflict people with sickness and disease, so that's never God's doing. Um, which is an interesting one to think, because I'm not... I mean, we could talk about that for a second. Like, uh, I think God allows sickness and disease, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he allows it. I wouldn't say he's the always the direct cause of it. I think he allows it sometimes. But then I go to First Corinthians 11, where... Mm-hmm. Paul says, because you guys are taking communion in an unworthy manner, that's the reason some of you guys are sick and some of you guys die. So I don't know what to do with that passage, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, like like Job Job 5, Blessed indeed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds. He strikes, but his hands also heal.
0: Yeah. So I think there are sometimes when God does both allow sickness and disease and then also um, as a means of divine correction. And again, that's First Corinthians 11. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think that's a pretty presumptuous thing to say that God never afflicts people with sickness and disease. Mm-hmm. Um, he claimed that he went to heaven and talked with his sister. He claimed Jesus appeared to him, to him in a vision. He claimed he once went to hell in an out-of-body experience. He would famously just claim, I, I don't believe in sickness. I don't believe in disease. So again, you can see E. W. Kenyon and that influence there. And even Phineas Quimby, you know, you just you just don't believe in it, so it's not there. Um he claimed it's always God's will to heal the sick, that believers have a legal and redemptive right to divine healing. And then uh he said, your confession of faith in God's word will bring healing. Or whatever it is you need from God, into the present tense, and make it a reality in your life. So, like w- when you start to read the doctrine and teachings of Kenneth Hagin, which again he was enormously popular because he was in—he was on the radio, he had his own magazine, he was traveling around with the World Roberts. Um, it becomes really obvious if you know E.W. Kenyon's work that the man flat out plagiarized him. Hmm. Um, the whole phrase, every man who has been born again is an incarnation, and Christianity is a miracle. That believer is as is, is much of an incarnation as was Jesus of Nazareth. That's, that's E.W. Kenyon. So, Hagen didn't come up with that. That's E.W. Kenyon. And Hagen basically taught that positive confessions were a tool by which you can conjure up anything you desire. Um, some non-Christians would call that an incantation but <laughs> Hagen called it a positive confession. Hmm. And so uh, he said, believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. That's the principle of faith. You can have what you say. Huh? Hmm. He, he once made the statement, this is, this is, this knocked my socks off when I read this. I was like, <laughs> holy cow. Yeah. I'm reading ahead and I'm like, oh God. yeah, yeah, yeah. He made the statement that for a pastor or anyone to drive a Chevrolet instead of a luxury car isn't being humble, it's being ignorant of God's law of prosperity that works for whoever you are, saint or sinner.
1: Mm. <laughs> well, Mr. Hagan, just call me a fool, because <laughs> yeah. I spent 30 minutes trying to put J.B. Weld on my radiator last just yesterday, mm. driving it around, milking it for another week before I put a new radiator.
0: <laughs> well, Gabe, I am living, not being humble. You I am not humble. Ignorant. You're, you're ignorant, buddy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Hagen's teachings began to infiltrate Pentecostal spaces very, very, very rapidly, uh, thanks to radio and then later television. Um, we talked about TBN. So if you turn on TBN today, you will probably get a smattering of um, Word of Faith teachers. Um, and the reason is because Paul and Jan Crouch who were the founders of TVN, were heavily influenced by Kenneth Hagin. And so um, you may not be familiar with Kenneth Hagen now, but you're probably familiar with his disciples. So Kenneth Hagin's spiritual son or one of his spiritual sons is Kenneth Copeland. Um, Gabe and I were talking about a really interesting video that I was going to send him of Kenneth Hagin basically having a a fit of holy laughter at a meeting where he's just walking around laughing and he like walks up to all these different people i guess they're one of his disciples and one of the ones he walks up to and this was like in the 80s or 90s is he walks up to kenneth Copeland, and he like lays his hands on him and basically passes his mantle on to kenneth copeland Hmm. and then breaks out into a holy holy laughter fit it's it's so cringy to watch. It's just theater. That's all it is. It's just theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so his his spiritual disciples are Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, uh, Fred Price. Uh, Kenneth Hagen has a Bible training college now run by his son, and his son is still on the radio. His son's name is Kenneth W. Hagen. So not Kenneth Hagen, but Kenneth W. Hagen, like George W. Bush. So, yeah, so those are the roots of the Word of Faith movement. Phineas Quimby, E.W. Kenyon, Kenneth Hagen, and now what we got today. Hmm. So if you actually Which study the roots, go ahead. It
1: adds, adds a lot more context when Kenneth Copeland was doing the all-too-cringy COVID-19, be gone, and blowing. Remember when he was, like, blowing yeah, okay, COVID-19 yeah. away? I mean, yeah. so that's, it was him, like, it was interesting because it's a manifestation of his his belief system, in the Word of Faith movement, uh, you saw that just plain as day. It's really interesting. And we laugh about it and stuff, but it's like, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. Like, that's what he firmly right. believes.
0: That's what he's been oh. teaching for, you know, mm-hmm. 50 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we can look at that now and just go, that's silly. Because it is. Like, the COVID-19 pandemic basically exposed these folks for what they are. They're charlatans. Mm-hmm. You can't blow COVID nineteen away. You say that you have authority over the natural world. Okay, well, blow COVID nineteen away. Well, I did. It's gone in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's still people in hospitals and on, on ventilators. This is back, mm-hmm. you know, two years ago when he claimed to do that. Mm-hmm. So, there's a couple things that become painfully obvious if you actually study the Word of Faith movement. The first is this is not biblical Orthodox Christianity. It's not. Never has been, never will be. It is New Thought, Mind Science, Mumbo Jumbo that got interspersed and interwoven with it. There's no history of this stuff in the early church. There's no history of this in the Reformation. There's no history of this in the Puritans. This this is a recent phenomena that is a syncretism of New Thought and Mind Science cult movements. Hmm. And that's super obvious to see if you actually do the work of looking and seeing where it started. Mm -hmm. Um, Second thing you see is it's not grounded in a belief in the supernatural sovereign work of an almighty God. Not at all. It's grounded in the idea that healing, miracles, and financial prosperity are results of hoops that we have to jump through as believers to visualize, declare, and speak things into existence. Mm. which is not faith Mm -hmm. and so like if somebody says you know oh i just i have a lot of faith well that's that's not really faith faith is like you said gabe shadrach meshach and abednego going hey we're trusting god and even if he doesn't work the way we would like for him to work we're still going to trust him and do what he says yeah um and then the third thing that's very obvious is all of the practitioners, all the teachers, and all the champions of both the New Thought and Mind Science movement and the Word of Faith movement have grown fabulously wealthy from it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> while while those who ascribe to it usually foot the bill. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's crazy is that... Um, once you start to see this stuff, once you start to like understand its claims, once you see it, you can't unsee it.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it Kind of, you know, you see little, little tentacles of it that kind of reach into, you know, mainstream Christian authors or different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, nip it in the bud.
0: It's, yeah, so um, I'm going to take 10 minutes as we close to, to just talk about maybe some rebuttals biblically. So Word of Faith Movement says that faith is a force. This is from Kenneth Copeland's book, The Force of Faith. Faith is a power force. It's a tangible force. It's a conductive force, and words activate the force. The force of faith is released by words. Faith-filled words put the law of faith, of the spirit of life, into operation. So Gabe, what does the Bible mm. say? Is faith a force?
1: No, it is not. Faith is trusting in the promises of God. Um, faith is synonymous with being sure. Like Hebrews eleven one says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we exercise faith when we trust in the promises of God.
0: Yeah. So really believing that f- faith is a force is... Mm-hmm. Almost the opposite of what biblical faith is, because biblical faith is just going, God, I trust you to do what you want to do, not me being confident in the outcome that I want. That's that that
1: Eastern mysticism, you know, kind of of creeping in there.
0: Yeah, it is. Very much Mm so. Uh, Word of Faith movement says God is not sovereign. God needs permission to act. This is from uh, Charles Capps. He wrote the book authority in three worlds he said satan had gained ascendancy in the earth by gaining adam's authority and god was left on the outside god couldn't come here in his divine power and wipe them out he had hmm. to move in an area where it would be ruled legal by the supreme court of the universe Ugh, just feel wow. icky reading that out loud yeah wow yeah. so yeah. what does the bible say that god does the bible say god has to have permission to act <laughs>
1: According to Romans nine fifteen and 16, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire effort, but on God's mercy. And God is sovereign over all creation, and man does not control God.
0: Golly, that, that is so blasphemous to state that God couldn't come here by his divine power and wipe them out. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Jeez Louise, man. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, So while we're riding the blasphemy train, let's keep going and read some more of these quotes. Mm. Uh, Word of Faith Movement says, you control Jesus with your mouth. This is from a book called The Fourth Dimension. It says, you create the presence of Jesus with your mouth. He is bound by your lips and your words. Remember that Christ is depending upon you and your spoken word to release his presence. Hmm yikes yeah all right gabe what does the bible say
1: i'm going to quote revelation 3 verses 14 and then 17 these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of god's creation the ruler of god's creation you say i am rich i have acquired wealth and do not need a thing but you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful poor blind and naked so Christ is sovereign over all creation. Man does not control Christ.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why someone would say that Christ is bound by your lips and your words. And that Christ is depending upon you and your spoken word to release his presence. Like, I, what? Hmm. Well, then how do you explain Jesus showing up to doubting Thomas? Mm-hmm. And saying to Thomas, hey, Thomas, look at the scars in my hands and in my side. Like, Thomas doesn't release the presence <laughs> of Jesus by his spoken word. Thomas doesn't even believe in Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's, oh my gosh, man. <sighs> All right, so the atonement, Word of Faith movement has completely rewritten and redefined the atonement. In Word of Faith, Jesus suffered and died on the cross... He descended into hell, supposedly the seat of Satan's government. He spent three days serving a sentence in hell where he was tortured by demons. (laughs) And then he was born again and released from hell on a technicality. Mm. Mm. When Jesus was in the pit of hell in that terrible torment. No doubt the devil and his emissaries gathered around to see the annihilation of God's son. But in the corridors of hell, there was a great voice from heaven. Turn him loose. He's there illegally. And all of hell became paralyzed. That is from Charles Caps. He wrote a book called Authority in Three Worlds. That is on page 130, 143, in case you're wondering, oh my gosh, you guys just made that up. No, no, that's really what they teach. That Jesus was born again before his very eyes. That's on page 189 of Authority in Three Worlds. So Gabe, was Jesus born again? I'm
1: going to quote 1 Peter 1, verses 19 and 20. But with the precious blood of Christ... A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. No, he was not born again. Uh, he could mm. not be born again since he did not have a sinful nature, because his sacrifice had to be a perfect one. He had no sin nature.
0: It's amazing to me how one could just come up with that doctrine. Just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just invent it, basically. <laughs> That's bizarre. Yeah. Uh Did Jesus descend into hell? We talked about this last episode, but basically we both agreed, no. Yeah. No. Because um, Jesus says to the criminal on the cross in Luke 23, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why would Jesus say he'd be with him in paradise today if Jesus is going to spend three days in hell? Hmm. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that just doesn't... And then the atonement was accomplished on the cross because Jesus says in John 19.30, it is finished. Mm-hmm. Tetelestai, right? That's the, the Greek mm-hmm. for that. He he doesn't have to go to hell for three days and serve a sentence in hell. No, it is finished when he gives up the ghost on the cross. So that is so unbiblical to say he goes to hell. He doesn't go to hell. He doesn't have to go to hell. Mm. So there's a lot of interpretations about him descending into Sheol and preaching to the old testament saints in paradise, but that is exceptionally speculative and that is reading far more than the text than is there to say that he went to hell. Alright, yeah. last
1: I was just gonna say that's I mean that, sadly that's just a common belief though. Just a common misnomer. It's
0: mm-hmm.
1: circulated in, you know, many of Sunday school classes. But we're gonna change that. One when... <laughs> One podcast episode <laughs> one at <a> time.
0: podcast, <laughs> all right, last teaching of the word of faith that man is a God, though a lesser God than God the Creator. This is from Charles Caps again, man, he's like he's leading the charge in the blasphemy bus. um hmm. Adam was an exact duplication of God's kind. Adam was subordinate to God, God created him, gave him all this authority and power, and said to him, "Be God over the earth." As I am God over the heavens, that is from the book Authority in Three Worlds. So what does the Bible say? Is man a God?
1: Negatory. <laughs> Isaiah 43.10 says, Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. There is only one true God. And if man is God, or a God, then man has to be a false God. And that's uh, it's not in alignment with what these people want to believe.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, man. So closing thoughts, and then we're done. This thank you for sticking with us. This is a long episode. There's a lot to, to say about this. I feel like we could probably do a third episode about it. But Anyway, um, just four things real quick. First is we still believe in divine healing. Mm-hmm. God still heals. Um, I've seen him do it. I've prayed for people to be healed. I've seen God heal them. But I've also prayed for people to be healed, and they didn't get healed. They actually went to heaven to be with the Lord. And so when divine healing happens, it's a supernatural, sovereign, sovereign, merciful gift of God. Mm. It's not something we're entitled to and just have to manifest with our words and correct mental visualizations.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So... When you say to somebody that basically healing is already promised to you, it's just the reason you're not getting it is because you're not you're not manifesting it, you're not speaking, it. you're not confessing it, you're not. That puts yeah. a burden on people, and you put guilt on people, and that's so cruel and and I just think that's demonic. I mean, it just puts condemnation on believers.
1: Yeah, and then we 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 just have a really hard time. With God not answering prayer sometimes, and that that's just mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that sometimes he doesn't answer a prayer and it, 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 let me let me back up and say this he always answers a prayer mm-hmm. sometimes it's not the answer we want we, it's not go. the result that we want to see and so sometimes we even say these things like well, he was healed, but it was he was healed through his death, and he's mm. he has full healing now, but yeah. you know it's like let's just let's just face the fact that sometimes. We don't get the answer that we want. And I don't understand it. I'm not saying that like I can I can really explain it all to you, but I, 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 and nor do I like it. Right. Um but that's just the truth. And, and and the sooner we embrace that, it doesn't mean that we have any less faith. It doesn't mean that we're like our we're not born again and we're not really like naming and claiming and releasing it. It just means that God is sovereign and yeah. He can really do what He wants.
0: Uh, and, he, and we're he, called to trust him. That's really what faith is. Is, yeah, yeah. is really just saying, I don't understand, but I trust you. Yeah. Um, second closing thought, financial prosperity is not God's will for every believer. Sometimes faithful <laughs> believers are poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> right? I
1: think it was one of my sons not too long ago came up to me and he's like, dad, can I get a a new pair of tennis shoes and i was like looking at the shoes i was like man come on you can get like another couple months out of those shoes like you don't need any shoes and he's like he looks at me and he's like so we are poor then and I'm, like, what? <laughs> I'm like i'm like have you been is this like a test that you were like want, you you've been pondering this question whether or not we're poor and you're like you've been thinking about it for weeks and weeks and you're like finally i have an appropriate test to measure whether or not we're poor which <laughs> is so funny
0: he's like so we are poor then oh man I'm like, yes that's actually funny. we are <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious yeah so um you have to basically read the bible with one eye shut to believe that somehow all the faithful believers in the new testament were rich mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean that's the opposite of what paul writes about in the book of philippians he talks about how he knows how to abound with little and with much he can do all things to christ who gives him strength so like yeah, that's just not even true. That doesn't even pass the sniff test biblically. And you also have to put all these believers that are in developing countries who are living in financial squalor and even persecution into the category of being ignorant of their true, what is it that Hagen said? They're ignorant of their, their true legal right or something. Mm, I'm trying to remember yeah. what the quote is, that if you drive a yeah. Chevrolet instead of a luxury car, you're you're not poor, you're ignorant or whatever it is. So that's just not even true, right? Third thing is mind science manifesting and declaring things into existence. It's just flat out mythology. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. It never has worked and it never will work. It's a scam and it's a manipulation. Now, having said that, there is something to psychosomatic power of suggestion, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, we opened this episode talking about you running a marathon. There is something mm-hmm. to mind over matter at times, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There is something to, like, saying to your body, body right now, you're not in charge of me. Right now, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep running, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. yeah, or I'm not going to eat that because I know it. Yeah. Need... Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, my body is telling me, eat, 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 eat. Well, I'm fasting, so no, I'm not going to eat that, right? hmm so God has given us this thing called the mind. It is a powerful thing. We we can, um, and, and you know this, Gabe, because you just finished a marathon, you, you're, you're capable physically of achieving far more than sometimes your body tells you that you are. Mm-hmm. There's these glass ceilings that we have. And so like, yes, there's something to be said for breaking through those glass ceilings and accomplishing more and achieving more. And sometimes our mind traps us in these places that, that those are just mental blocks, right? So we're not denying that. There is great power in us being able to um, push through those glass ceilings and those mental blocks. Yes and amen to all that stuff. But but the whole like you can heal yourself that Christian science teaches and that word of faith movement teaches, that's just not true. It's not true. Like if you if you <laughs> if you get COVID, you get COVID. You're sick. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids all have RSV right now. Hmm. It's a virus. It comes through, right? It comes through, it's there for a couple of days, and then you get better. Uh, it's, it's not going to help them for me to just say, just, you don't have it. Say you don't party, have it. You're probably at your house away. right now. <laughs> yeah, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> so, I slept like two hours last night, so. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And last thing, and then we'll close. Beware of any teacher, preacher a message that teaches a decaf or a soft word of faith message so Mm. i think most people under the age of 40 are probably not listening to guys like kenneth copeland or benny Hinn or andrew womack or guys like that but i think where i see younger younger people getting into are the the preachers and sneakers crowd (laughs) you know what i mean
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you
0: mean. You know exactly what I mean, right? So the guys Mm. with the skinny jeans and the V-necks and the designer Mm. shirts. Okay, here's what they're teaching, and I'm just going to just throw this out here. It's basically a repackaged soft prosperity gospel message. It may not be about you getting material wealth, but it is essentially soft prosperity gospel. Mm. Because here's what it does. It makes you the hero of the story. It focuses on your life problems. It builds your self-esteem and encourages you to be confident and prosperous. Yeah. It warns you of haters, toxic people, and toxic situations. It calls you to love yourself, and it's highly entertaining. Mm. Okay? That's that's not like traditional prosperity gospel, but it actually is a repackaged form of the prosperity gospel.
1: Mm. It's all self-focused.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas sound theology makes God and Jesus the hero of the story. It focuses on your sin problems, exposes your depravity and your need for repentance, and encourages you to be humble and for you to be holy. It warns you of hell. It calls you to deny yourself, and it convicts you of sin. And so Mm. I I don't want to say names necessarily, but I want you, if you're listening to this podcast, stay away from the preachers and sneakers crowd. So So, are you
1: saying... I can't wear my white New Balances anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, white New Balances in. That's good. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crocs <laughs> that with means socks. I'm old school. Uh, yeah, old school. Yeah, and hey, listen, when I say preaching sneakers new, I'm not saying if your pastor dresses fashionable that he's automatically a, you know, a peddler of false prosperity gospel. I'm just saying that I think most people get what I'm laying down right now without naming names. Like mm. if someone's whole sermon is basically about you having victory and being confident and prosperous and they're just hyping you up and there's music in the background and it may not be kenneth copeland style but it is kind of a soft decaf self-centered you know type thing man like you, you gotta be dangerous it's it's essentially the same message just repackaged for a new generation is that fair
1: yeah yeah so I can keep wearing my New Balance, my white New Balance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you are you are poor. Your son said it, unless you're not getting new sneakers every day. So anyway. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging with us for a long episode. We promise next time we'll be shorter. And uh, if you have questions, as always, send them to the email. Reach out to us via the Facebook. Leave us a comment on YouTube. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast@gmail.com. gmail.com.